Hey, batter, batter. Are you ready to hit a home run with flavor? Step up to the plate and swing by Penn Station East Coast Subs, where every bite is a grand slam. Craving a classic Philly cheesesteak or maybe a savory chicken teriyaki? Or how about loading up on their delicious fresh-cut fries? Call it a triple play by ordering Penn Station's signature fresh-squeezed lemonade. When it comes to subs, Penn Station is the big league. Order online at penn-station.com or stop at a store near you. Penn Station East Coast Subs. Tonight, we have a very special episode for you. First of all, some, some announcements up front, um, kind of talking about our, our format change, uh, and then we'll get right into the guest that we have for the evening, which is Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star. Um, we, we have quite a few questions to catch up with him on, but uh, first, by way of announcement, if you haven't already noticed, we actually have changed the name of the podcast. Um, It is no longer the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. It is instead just the Rock Chalk podcast. A couple different reasons for that. One, I I had always kind of thought about this as as, as spinning this out in kind of its own separate entity. We are still affiliated with Rock Chalk Talk. We still plan on being affiliated with Rock Chalk Talk. Um, I just, uh, you know, I'd always envisioned that this is something that I wanted to be doing for quite a long time. And so just in case anything kind of ever happened. Um, you know, I wanted to, to make sure that this would kind of live on its own entity. The, um, the, the other reason, too, is I've been looking at uh, creating a Twitter account just for the podcast, partly because, well, I, I, I definitely appreciate everything that Fetch does for the Rock Chalk Talk Twitter account. Um, there have been times where I've wanted to chime in um, through that account, uh, but I don't want to step on his toes since, since he does such a great job there. So this... Creating this this other Twitter account gives me an opportunity to be able to, to weigh in with my own KU thoughts um, from a uh, from a, from a podcast perspective. It does make it a little easier to get the podcast more visible uh, to try to build that readership. And you know, in case we ever decided that we wanted to monetize the podcast at any point, it just makes everything a little bit easier um, all 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 together there. So. So that's that's it for the announcements. Um, just in terms of formatting change, you know, obviously the name's a little bit different. All of our old episodes are still going to be up. We are using the same feed. Um, by the po- by the time you're hearing this, the name may have actually changed up on our iTunes feed. It may not have. Um, I'm not sure what the time frame is for that. But um, you know, we we do have, like I said, a new a new Twitter handle. It is at Rock Chalk Pod. So definitely give that a follow. Um, Interact with us there. There will be a lot of banter, I'm assuming, back and forth between me and Fetch um, with the main Rock Chalk Talk account. So um, we will, at some point in the future, be putting up our own Facebook page, um, all of that fun stuff. So definitely keep an eye out for that. We also are going more towards um, kind of a uh, normal episode plus featuring a, a special interview for each episode. So so this week it is, it is uh, Jesse Newell. And we will get you guys over to that interview here in just a minute. But um, I also kind of want to leave this format here so we can do show notes and um, you know announcements and all of that. And then kind of do the, the miscellaneous catch-up on all the different episodes without having to keep our guests to kind of just listen through that at the end. So um, 
So without further ado, we are going to go ahead and get to our, our season opener, uh, season three. We are previewing the football season with Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star, and we might talk about a few other things. kind of just depends on where the conversation goes. So with that, enjoy, and make sure you stick around for some programming notes after the interview. All right, and I'm joined now by Jesse Newell from the from the KC Star. Jesse, how how are you doing today? Doing good, Andy. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, finally wrapping my head around the fact that the KU football season is almost here. I'm, I haven't quite decided whether that's a good thing or a bad thing yet, but it is coming whether we want it to or not. Uh, I'm sure it gives you guys a, lot, a, a whole lot more to talk about and and to write about with the actual season coming up soon. So um, I, let's let's just go ahead and, and kick it off. Uh, first of all, talking about football camp. It seems like every year we have one big story that comes out. Um, and, and, and then, of course, the usual ones like uh, the fact that we still don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be going into the year. But for you, what has been the biggest story to come out of KU football camp this year? You know, um, honestly, the biggest story is probably that there haven't been very many stories. And I wrote about this a little bit in um, my predictions story that I did, this, I did uh, earlier today. But the thing with KU football, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk in previous years. You know, sometimes there have been things I think that, um, you know, Coach Beatty and even some of the players maybe wish they had back or wish that they hadn't said. And so this preseason is just a little bit different. I think they've they've cut down access a little bit, and you know, they really there's not really too much to say because you know when you go three and thirty three in your first three seasons, and you figure this year might be better and that the team might be improved. Um, nobody really is going to believe it until they see it on the field and, and until they see results. And so I kind of understand where KU football is coming from and why there really haven't been that many stories out, just because uh, I think this team more than any other maybe in the nation just needs September 1st to get here so that they can go out in the field and prove whether they're better or not. Because it's not only nationally that you know people think that KU football isn't worth much. I mean, they have to prove it to their own fan base, which you know a lot of people have stuck around the program ever since 09 and, and kind of had high expectations certain years and, and hoped and believed that they could be better certain years and, and it really hasn't happened. So for this team, you know, there just aren't that many storylines because, um, frankly, the interest isn't going to be there until they start winning, and that's probably deservedly so because of some of the built-up expectations in previous years when um, the team and the players and the coaches haven't come through. So um, really not too much to speak of yet, but like I said, everything could start heating up really quickly, especially if this team – uh, as crazy as it sounds, gets off to a good start in non-conference play, but it's definitely something that could happen with the opponents they have in the first three games. Yeah, so, I mean, you you kind of talked about how most of the fans, you know, aren't really optimistic about this team, and, and again, that is deservedly so, given the the optimism we've had in the last few years, and it's just we, we, we haven't been able to live up to it, but... You know, the mailbag you did a few days ago, um, actually one of our guys here, David, uh, had asked you to m- try to make the case for optimism for, for the football team. And, and, you know, you, you basically pointed out three things. The fact that they have a bunch of experience, um, coming back, that the turnovers were really, really, like, unlucky for them last year. And so that's probably going to, f- you know, fix. And then, and then the fact that they don't really have to do much to really improve offensively. Um, while I understand all of those points, I mean, is that is that really um, just given kind of the thoughts that's been surrounding the program? I mean, it, it, is that really that big of a case to kind of say that we should be somewhat optimistic for any kind of improvement this year? Or is it more of a, well, it doesn't seem like it can really get any worse? 
Well, you know, I, I do think a couple of those points, it's, it's difficult to talk about this because to me, KU football is the exact opposite of KU basketball. And, yeah, definitely. and that's what I mean by it, which is KU basketball, if anything can go well, you expect it to go well. Like if it's late in the game and KU's been playing poorly and they're down double digits and somebody, they run bad offense and a three goes in. Well, you expect them to go on a 10-0 run then and come back and win the game. I mean, how many times has Bill Self, how many times have Bill Self's team done that in the past? And so like you've seen it so many times that you just, you sort of believe it's going to happen. And I think that happens with the op- opposing teams too. Like, They've seen it so many times. Like West Virginia. How many times has yeah. West Virginia had? Florida State, especially West West Virginia. <laughs> how many times has West Virginia had a 16-point lead against Kansas in the second half? And how many times have they lost that game? You know, it, and so for me, KU football is just the exact opposite. It's it's really difficult to see things going right because any time that any glitter of hope has happened in the past, whether that be a game or a season or a hire or a recruit, uh, it, it just always seems to not happen right. I mean, again, you can go back – all these things. Octavius Matthews is their top recruit last year. Uh, he has a heart condition. He can't play. You know, Doug Meacham is, you know, the top coordinator, the second best coordinator hire in the nation, according to SI.com. And again, that doesn't work out as everybody anticipates, at least for the first season. So all these things going on the line, you know, Dane Chris, Jake Heats. I mean, you just keep going on and on and on. Jock Crawford. I mean, I, I don't mean to bring shivers up to KU football fans, but it, it just seems like everything that seems like it should go right never does go right. But if we're making the case statistically, if we're just taking the emotion out of it, the human part out of this, the, the I guess, uh, woe is me or Eeyore part out of this, oh, my gosh, it's going to go wrong for Kansas football, I think the first two are legitimate things and, and legitimate reasons to be excited for Kansas football. Number one, again, these are kind of backed in data. These are backed in things that uh, Bill Conley from SB Nation has studied for a long time now. Uh, number one is the experience factor. And uh, KU second in the nation experience and Again, you can run the numbers, you can run the correlations, especially defensively. Teams tend to get better when their returning production comes back on the defensive end. Now, it's there offensively, too, just a little bit. But, I mean, if you look at KU's defense, yeah, you lose Lawrence Armstrong, but Daniel Wise comes back, Joe Janine comes back. And even beyond that, I mean, some of the guys that have been there before that haven't always produced, I mean, they're back for another year, and you would suppose that they'd be bigger, stronger, faster, more experienced in the system. You know, whether that's Shaq Taylor and Hassan defense on the backside or even you know, role players like, uh, you know, Keith Loniker or Osaz Ogbabor at linebacker. I mean, they have guys who have at least been there before and should know what they're doing. So I think that's a major one. And then turnovers. If, if people watched last year, again, I know it's difficult to watch the whole season uh, with KU football because, you know, people start to lose interest when you start losing games, all that. But there legitimately were three or four interceptions last year. I, I still don't believe happened. I mean, it was basically like receivers would have the ball, hit them in the bread basket, and they would catch it and then literally throw it to the other team, uh, whether that was from a hit or just being off balance. I mean, some weird, fluky, crazy things were happening with yeah. KU football last year. And, again, that part of that is the, the opposite of KU basketball, which is when things go bad, you expect these weird, fluky, bad things to, to go bad again. Yeah, but if we just look at the law, Kansas football is the living embodiment of Murphy's Law. I'm not sure exactly. if you're familiar with Murphy's Law. The the idea that if if anything that can or anything that can go wrong will go wrong. I mean that's that's what Murphy's Law is. We we actually would talk about that all the time when I was in high school. We had a a science thing that we did, and like we would never ever say the name or never even talk about it because the minute you said it, it means that everything that you were doing was going to go wrong. It's almost like you've got somebody that's like shouting at at the top of their lungs inside of that Kansas locker room with all the injuries that we've had, you know, with all of those problems with 
absolutely nothing working out for them. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think that's really the best way to think about it, you know, that point that you have, that Kansas basketball, everything goes right. Kansas football, everything seems to go wrong. Um, so, so to kind of jump into there then, um, because, you know, we've uh, – an, another point that was brought up at, at during that mailbag that you did was talking about the, uh, the, the new hiring for the athletic department. Um, and I just had the name, oh, Vol- Mike, Mike Vollmer. Um, you know, I've, I've heard the argument and I've actually kind of, the more I reason about this, the more it seems possible is that, you know, I mean, David Beatty could potentially have a, a large improvement this year just based off of the fact that, you know, I, I'm not so sure that, that Shay and Zinger necessarily had the best system in place to give David Beatty the support he needed. Um, now, I, I mean, I, not, not that I'm expecting anyone to really talk bad about Shane Zinger. I just, um, you know, I mean, I, I've heard the argument, and it kind of makes sense, especially seeing Mike Vollmer getting hired so quickly, that maybe all the resources he needed from the athletic department um, sense were not really there. I mean, is, is, is that kind of the read that you got from hiring someone so quickly for that kind of position? Well, you know, we talked um, – some of the BRIs talked to Jeff Long on his first day, and so that was interesting, you know, in his office when he was speaking about it, like what are your, some of your first responsibilities. And he kind of just basically said, hey, look, I, I've been a lot of places. I, I've been to a lot of different programs. So I've seen a lot of things, and I can, I'll can, i have these ideas for what can go right. And he's kind of big on, hey, people coming in, bringing new ideas, sharing ideas, trying to always evolve and be better. And so one of the first things he said was, Look around and see if if there's a place where more administrative help is needed. You know, another athletic director is needed. And sure enough, about seven days later, they hired you know Mike Vollmer to oversee the football program. From what I can gather, and what I you know I talked to somebody about this, they've had kind of rotating people in that position in the past. And um, I guess even the uh, uh, they had the compliance director was helping to oversee KU football last year. So I, I agree with your point that this, I don't think this has been a a position that completely has been um, I guess now, I guess you would say that it's being taken more seriously, or that there's being more commitment put to this, uh, especially if you're hiring a new administrator to do that. Uh, however, I mean, I think the bottom line with it is, in in terms of David Beatty and his job security, I, I think we all kind of understand where this thing is at. Even if Jeff Long can't come out and completely say where this thing right. is at, which is, you know, there's this big long article by Max Olson from ESPN.com who spoke about. You know, David Beatty, how he's trying to get the scholarships up and how he's trying to rebuild the program and do these things behind the scenes. And all those things are right, and it was well-researched, well-reported, all those sorts of things. Um, but but the bottom line is this. At 3-33 and 33, and now going into your fourth season, you have to show an ability to win on the field, and you have to show an ability to stay close in games and to be competitive at the Big 12 level. And so there's a lot of things maybe GM-wise that David Beatty has done well or that he at least – will talk in, in public terms and say, hey, these are the things I've been trying to do and, and maybe let you in behind the curtain and say, hey, I've been trying to do the scholarships this way, we've been trying to build this way, all those sorts of things. The bottom line, though, is at some point you have to put a competitive product on the field. You have to show that your in-game tendencies or your preparation every week can go along with what you're doing on the back end to try to improve the program. And if that doesn't happen, then you're probably going to need a football coach anyway. So for this season, I mean, everybody asked me the win total, and it's it's impossible to tell you because I, you know, Jeff Long hasn't whispered in my ear and told me the win total. But I, I really do think that wins are what's important this year. That they have to show progress on the field. You can't have 21 yards against TCU. You can't get blown out at home, uh, you know, by Baylor, which is a similar 
so, you know, scholarship situation as you. You can't have those sorts of results. You can't lose to Mac schools. I mean, that sort of thing. So uh, for David Bay, I think it's really important for him to show that he can be an in-game coach, a week-to-week preparation coach, a coach that can get his team to win on Saturdays because if you can't do that, then you're probably going to be searching for a job no matter how well you do the rest of your job. Yeah, I mean, and I don't want to make it, you know, I don't want anyone to think that I was trying to say that, you know, Shane Zinger was the issue or that Beatty, you know, doesn't have any blame in any of this just because he wasn't getting support or enough support from the athletic department. I, you know, th- that wasn't what I was implying at all. Um, but what I what I do want to ask then is, you basically said that there wasn't a number, but it is probably going to come down to wins. Um, I mean, is there one? Is 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 there a specific number in your mind that's like a bare minimum? Um, I've envisioned a few different scenarios, like you know, potentially he could if he only wins four games. You know, if he's wins four games, gets the you know breaks that road losing streak, like wins all the non-conference, picks up one win somewhere in the Big Twelve, and it's competitive in every single one of those games, except for maybe like an Oklahoma or something like that. That's going to look a lot different than winning the first four games against a team like Baylor that's way down, you know, and and getting those four and then getting blown out the rest of the year. Is but like, is there a bare minimum number of wins he has to have, or is it more of a he needs to win? the ones that we really expect them to win and then stay close and everything else? Well, I, I, I don't know if you have to pick off certain games. Um, I, I think the four to five win range is what most people have speculated. I think that's probably right because, I mean, again, if you think about it, if KU wins five games this year, uh, this is their best season basically since, uh, you know, 2008, which was the Inside Bowl. I mean, they haven't won five games in a long time, and they haven't won multiple Big 12 games in a long time. I mean, this would be kind of a – a season where you're like, wow, I mean, this this showed major improvement. This showed the kind of growth on the field uh, that fans were expecting from David Beatty in the last couple of years. So I think five would be very difficult. Four, again, the circumstances can change based on the competitiveness, competitiveness in some of these games and um, and not having embarrassing losses in the Big 12 and competing with, with teams that might be the, the mid- to lower-level teams. You know, can you stay within uh, two or three touchdowns of Oklahoma State? You know, can, can you – can you take one of those teams at the top to the wire? Can you beat uh, a team you're not supposed to beat, which you're going to have to to get to four wins? So I think a lot of things, you know, go into that other than just, um, you know, who you beat and, and just the wins total. But uh, at the same time, there's a lot of there's a lot of different variables if you look at this just from a big picture perspective too. And a lot of things have to go through Jeff Long's mind. Um, part of that being if you're looking to the future of the program. Um, recruiting wise you know the coaching staff threw a lot of resources at this season and this is going to be a topic that will be brought up over and over again I know it's been brought up some already but some of the blue shirts that KU has taken on some of the graduate transfers that KU has taken on um, basically you know to, to, to make this very quick for people who don't understand what's happening KU gets to use those scholarships this year so some of those graduate transfers that came in this year blue shirt players that came in this year those JUCO guys who showed up late they go and are able to play immediately but the scholarships they take are from the 2019 class. So when you look at KU's signing class right now and they have two commits, part of the reason for that is that they're just a little bit behind. And part of the reason for that is that their total class is only going to be about 15 or 16 people probably because they've kind of thrown some of these scholarships a year in advance to try to win this year. So if you're Jeff Long, if you're seeing KU's coaches try to make maybe like speed up the timeline a little bit and, and try to move this thing up in advance because they understand that they're you know, their jobs might be in danger or that they might have to win this year. It doesn't matter. You might say, okay, are you willing to do that again if this if this coaching staff wins four games and, and see them do the same thing next year 
and all of a sudden in two or three years they're way behind the eight ball again like they were with Charlie Weiss after all those Juco gambles didn't pay off. So that's one consideration. Something else, you talked about which wins they were. If KU really struggles early, I know Jeff Long has already been on the record and said he doesn't. he's not a big fan of midseason firings, but the new redshirt rule really could put a big um, – it could change things. Just because – let's say – and this is hypothetical. Let's say KU goes 0-3 or 1-2 and in the first three games, and you're worried about the future of the program. Jeff Long could, put, could fire David Beatty at that point if you know that this season is going to be a dead one anyway. And he could bring in an interim coach and say, look, I want any player who thinks they have a future with this program to redshirt the rest of the way because it, they're under that four-game minimum. And all of a sudden, you might be able to help yourself in 2021 and 2022 by bringing back some of these Juco players who are juniors and have them two extra years. So that's a consideration as well. Um, if, you, if Dave Beatty does struggle early on, even if Jeff Long doesn't want to make a midseason switch, this redshirt rule could be kind of interesting because if KU decided to bring in an interim coach, Jeff Long could basically say, hey, look, anybody who wants to play in the future, anybody who thinks they want to be a part of this rebuild, we're redshirting you right now. We're basically punting this season and hoping it'll be better two or three years down the line. So a lot of different factors going into this decision for Jeff Long, and that's why it's a complicated one and, and why he gets paid the big bucks to make because uh, it's going to have a lot of factors go into it. A lot of things are going to cross his mind, I bet, over the next two months. Yeah, and kind of an interesting implication of the whole redshirt rule that I hadn't even thought about is if you know if we get to the point where that is, kind of a lost season, KU theoretically could end up redshirting all three quarterbacks that they have this year. Um, now, obviously that's not very likely, but well, and, and I think there may be a, a few guys maybe that have already used the redshirt in terms of a transfer. So um, it's obviously not possible for everybody, but theoretically, if you have a similar situation to this, you could have, you know, three guys that play four games each and then they're all technically eligible to redshirt. There's a lot of interesting things that that new redshirt rule definitely allows for, um, especially for a team like KU, yeah, that is fighting with, with scholarship issues. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely gives you another thing to think about, another thing that could potentially affect Beatty, you know, getting to keep his job, and especially in, in the middle of the season. Now, part of that could just be that, you know, Jeff Long gets a little bit more involved than than you typically would think an athletic director would and essentially lay out, look, this is what we need to do. And, you know, if you if you want to stick around and I, I, I need your help on this, like I'm not saying that he would meddle in the program that specifically, but obviously with the state of the program, you know, stuff hasn't been working. You got to start thinking of off the wall ideas to try to find ways to get back to where we need to be. So I, I wouldn't definitely I, I definitely wouldn't rule anything like that out. But, yeah, I hadn't even thought about the redshirt rule in terms of how that would allow people to do that sort of thing, how you can change, you know, change direction in the middle of the se- or the early part of the season and preserve eligibility for guys. So that's definitely an interesting thought there. So I'm under I'm working under the assumption and I'm assuming that pretty much anyone who follows Kansas is um, as well that, you know, Beatty's not going to go light the world on fire and, and, and go to a bowl game this year. And if that's the case and they do decide you know that like we we get into that 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 area where potentially we're looking at replacing the coach the the fact that david Beatty has a 3 million dollar buyout do you think that that's going to make any like have, have any kind of uh i guess big consideration in that in the, in that decision not really i mean um it it's a consideration obviously but if you think about the last two coaches that KU has fired they were guaranteed their whole contracts um with Turner Gill you know he was uh, Turner Gill and, and Charlie Wise both had huge amounts coming to them and much more than $3 million. And obviously, 
today three million is a little bit less than three million was a few years back. So uh, I don't think so. I mean, for Jeff Long, I think we all understand that he was hired. Basically, most of the reason he was hired was to fix the football program. And so if he believes moving forward that that means a change in coach, then um, that's what it's going to take to to get it right. Then he's going to go ahead and make the move he needs to make. And the KU's throwing money behind this thing already. Uh, you know, if yeah, Douglas Charles was not serious about football, Jeff Long wouldn't be making one and a half million dollars a year already. And so, um, three million is not something you want to pay to a guy to make him go away. But uh, that's today's college football. That's today's big time college football. And so, I don't think that uh, that's something that will make KU hesitate at all if they believe that a change is made. And so much of this, as we've talked about, is goes back to momentum and momentum trying to get the football program going, trying to get people in the seats, trying to make it more of a money maker, and trying to get the donations so that they can rebuild Memorial Stadium, which is so sorely needed here in the next few years. So if all that comes down to you need to make a switch, then uh, $3 million is just the price you have to pay uh, as part of that. So I, have, I will say this, though, and I've said this to a lot of people, for Jeff Long, the best thing that could happen for him, I mean, if we wanted to be honest with ourselves, it's that David Bay just wins a bunch, you know. I mean, how how awesome would it be for him if he just walked into a situation and David Beatty in year four kind of started to learn on the job, learned what it took to be a Power Five coach, figured things out, had his staff in order, got his experienced players, developed them, and they went on and won five or six games this year. I mean, boy, you get to jumpstart your your turnaround pretty quickly. You can go out to donors and raise some money. You can go out and, and sell that you need to, to improve Memorial Stadium. You can say that things are getting better at the program. So uh, I don't think that he's a guy that wants to come in and fire a coach immediately. I mean, he'll do it if he has to. But, uh, man, it would make his job a heck of a lot easier for fundraising and all the rest of it if, if David Beatty came out and won this year and he starts to look like the guy that was the reason for it. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, at this point, I, I just don't think that $3 million is much of a much of a roadblock because uh, KU is going to have to pay that uh, if it believes that it needs to do that to move forward. Yeah, definitely. So, all right, let's let's go ahead and change gears just a little bit here. You actually put out um, an article recently. Actually, it was it was today. I, I think you said where you made five bold predictions for the uh, for the football team for this year. So, I, I do want to ask you, which one of those do you think is the most likely to actually happen, and which one do you think is the least likely to actually happen? Oh, good question. I um. And and probably, for those that, that probably, haven't read the article yet, let me go ahead and just kind of recap them really quick. So the first one was that KU will finally break the 46-game road losing streak. Second one was that the Jayhawks will have the biggest turnover turnaround in Power 5 football. Number three, Steven Sims will set a KU record for receptions in a career. Number four, KU's quarterback, Carousel, will continue to turn. And number five, that Daniel Wise will win Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. I think Daniel Wise one is, is the most bold out of those. and. I kind of listed that in there. Just it's really difficult if you're on a losing team to to get the the Big 12 whatever player of the year. I mean, it's just if you're losing, then teams assume okay, you know, it's a, it's a losing team. The stats don't matter. He's not part of a winning program, so you kind of have to overcome an extra barrier to do that. But you know, there are some things that are in his favor. As as I mentioned in the article, you know, he they're going to line him up on the edge. He's going to be a good pass rusher. You would think uh, he could lead. The league in sacks, if he gets some fortunate breaks, he's going to be out there a ton. You know, I was talking with uh, Jesse Williams, the defensive line coach for KU, and he said last year he was, you know, nothing else. He was playing about 90 snaps a game. And while that's uh, a hero's effort by him, that's not something that KU wants to have him do because that means your depth isn't great. So the depth will be a little bit better this year, but I wouldn't expect him to take himself out of many games either. And, frankly, 
you know, they're going to be out on the field a lot too, you would assume. I mean, this is going to be, still be a program that's likely at the bottom of the Big 12. So uh, they'll probably get more defensive snaps, which could be more raw statistics. So, um, yeah, Daniel Wise being Big 12 defensive player of the year, I think that's pretty bold, but it's definitely something I could see happening. The least – now, when you say that it's pretty bold, like, do you think that's the one that's most likely to actually happen, or the one that's least no, likely I, to actually? No, I, I, I think I, I think I was the least likely to actually. Okay, happen. yeah, and and, um, and and to be honest, to kind of to kind of play off of that, you know, I had a similar sort of prediction last year, and that Dorrance Armstrong, I thought, was going to have a breakout year, was going to be you know first team All Big Twelve, and then was going to go on and get drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Um, that didn't work out, and I think a lot of that happened to. To you know, to, to really coincide with the fact that the, the the coaching staff didn't use him in the way that we expected him to, they really, yeah. you know, wanted him to clamp down on the run and saw a good opportunity to help try to improve the overall defense by utilizing Dorrance Armstrong in a way that didn't necessarily play to his strengths or give him a, a, a really an opportunity to get that national recognition. I'm a little concerned that Daniel Wise is going to have a similar sort of of, uh, of impact, although he has been an interior defensive lineman in, in previous years. From what you're saying, it sounds like they're going to move him to the outside and maybe do like a reversal of what happened with Dorrance Armstrong. Well, yeah, they'll at least play him, and, and, and again, he's, he's a good inside pass rusher. They, they won't play him in kind of that hybrid outside linebacker role like Dorrance did, but uh, he still has an opportunity to beat guys on the inside like he has uh, in the past. But you make a great point, which is it doesn't even mean that he's not improving or a better player this year. His stats could go down because of just scheme and KU trying to figure out the best way to you know hide some deficiencies or do things. Uh, you said it perfectly. Uh, Dorn Armstrong last year, they had him line up a little bit further outside to kind of protect against the run because they didn't trust their secondary and their linebackers, and his stats went way down. So, yeah, I think that was the least likely to occur. You know, I'm looking at these right now. So KU will break its road losing streak. That's probably a 50-50 thing if you want to be optimistic. Um, Steven Sims sets record for KU receptions in a career. He needs 66. He had 59 last year. So that was probably a little bit less than 50-50. KU's quarterback carousel continues to turn. I, that's probably the one I'm going to say that's the most likely. Probably. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, you would think by year four that you would hope you could recruit a, a quarterback in there or at least that someone would grab up and take the job and run with it. Um, but it just, again, from early returns, from early things we've heard, from, from early indications, it just seems like much of the same, which is these guys that, that they're not really separating themselves, that they're not the, the people that have been able to see practice or the people that have been able to, to gather information with the people that have seen practice kind of believe that these guys are not really separating from the pack. So, uh, I just won't be surprised if Peyton Bender starts the opener and then they need a spark in game three and here comes Miles Kendrick or, or whatever the case may be. You start Miles Kendrick and um, all, you know, okay, he's not performing well. You go back to Peyton Bender. It just seems like this has kind of been the MO in the three years under David Beatty or even the whatever, eight years after Todd Reesing has left the program. They just have not found a consistent guy uh, at quarterback and not have not found success. That's really been a big part of their offensive issues. So I'll go with that one being the most likely out of the quote bold predictions just because we've seen it in the past and even though most programs like it with one quarterback KU just seems like they're always fishing to find the right one and they never seem to find it and 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 of course the fact that they still haven't named a starting quarterback coming out of camp yet I mean that really just makes you think that either they haven't found anyone because no one's really established themselves or they just for whatever reason can't decide on one and if that's the case then you know if if, if they come out of camp and still haven't really strongly decided on who's going to be the starting quarterback, then all it will take is one bad drive or, you know, or one bad half 
for them to decide, okay, well, let's let's give someone else a try. So, yeah, I think that is definitely the most likely one to actually happen. So, all right. So, um, next question for you. What is the biggest area of concern with this team heading into the season, and why is it the offensive line? <laughs> you know, you know what's funny? Um, I, I would tell you the offensive line is absolutely the most fascinating part of the team, and I've already written about them a couple times. Uh, and including one a couple of weeks ago, people want to Google it, but trying to get four new starters that have arrived since summer ball began, um, that, it's crazy. Like, I, I don't know, I, I, it's got to be one of the first times that's ever happened at the FBS level, but, like, I can't imagine Division Two teams wanting to do something like that. You know, it's just, it's nuts to try to rebuild your offensive line on the fly with all these transfers and graduate transfers. But to be completely honest with you, um, from what I've heard in the last couple of weeks, it sounds like that might not be the biggest concern. It sounds like they might kind of be getting together and, and doing a decent job. You know, there's been uh, really good things heard about Fontana coming in and kind of the nastiness he has and being a leader on the offensive line, a guy who will speak. And honestly, Kay's kind of needed that. Akeem Adenogy is a great player, but he's a guy that just is not really a vocal leader. He's not the one that's going to speak up on the offensive line. They've kind of needed a, a sort of vet to be that sort of presence. And it sounds like Fontana can be that. Now, again, if, if you're looking at it through the lens of KU football, it just kind of makes you wonder what's going to go wrong with this or, you know, will things continue to fall apart? But if we're being honest, KU's offensive line wasn't great a year ago, better in pass protection than it was in the run game, but uh, still, you know, not great when it came down to it at the very end. Maybe this can work. You know, I actually talked with Bill Connolly about this um, just, just very briefly and asked him because I wanted to ask him, you know, you hear about continuity on the offensive line and, and how important it is. And he said through his studies that continuity is actually more important um, in games during a season than it is um, in games in the past. So basically, if you can keep your line healthy and get those guys to continue to play together, that's more important than guys, um, you know, playing together over seasons and seasons, things like that. So as crazy as it is and as risky as it is, uh, the offensive line thing might actually work in the sense that KU okay, might be a little bit better th this year. Uh, than it was a year ago. So I guess if you kind of move down the list with KU football, it's probably exactly what we already talked about, which is the quarterback position. Uh, the fact that, um, you know, Peyton Menner's here and he turned down George to come to Kansas. He's been here the second year of the program. He has the big arm that everybody likes, but yet he hasn't really, you know, wowed as of yet. I mean, things can change, obviously. Uh, Miles Kendrick comes in. He kind of changes the work ethic. Everybody seems to like him. He has that, that it quality, the leadership, that sort of thing studies his butt off in the in the film room, but yet it doesn't seem like he's really emerged with a job either as of yet. Again, it's super early. This is we've only talked to David Bay twice here in, in fall camp, but uh, that position still just is concerning because it's so important and KU has been so lackluster there for so long that it's really hard for K to, to see KU improving to a great extent without the quarterback play being at least a little bit better. So um, I'll go ahead and flip a little bit. I'll, I'll say that the quarterback is the most the most concerning part of this team right now, just the fact that um, there's no solution, real answer that you can point to yet, at least for the offensive line. Again, it's been kind of with some whispers like, hey, this might turn out. This might be okay with, with quarterback. I, I still think there's a lot of concern there because uh, if nothing else, you want one guy to separate it. It just doesn't seem like that's been the case yet. Yeah, that's that's definitely good to hear about the offensive line. And, and I definitely agree with the point that, that Bill Connolly made in terms of you know, continuity inside of the season is definitely more important. Um, going into camp, I mean, even you have all of that time, 
you know, for for the guys to build the chemistry that you need. You know, I, I played offensive line in middle school, and, and the biggest issue that we had was when people were rotating around. Like, for the for the beginning of the season, and I imagine it, it just gets even more, you know, the, the higher level you go. But the beginning of the season was when we really worked on that chemistry, worked on that communication. You know, we did enough drills together as a unit that we knew what the guy to, that next to us was going to do. If a guy was coming up on one side, you know, we knew how that potentially would, would shift assignments and where we needed to focus and things like that. And you really have a lot of time to build those those relationships, build that that chemistry, and, and get that that kind of conversation going when you don't have a game to prep for every single week. So if you can keep that consistency once you've had that time in camp to get all of that set up then yeah, that definitely helps. And so I definitely agree that it's it's a lot more important offensive line-wise to have consistency throughout the year than it is to necessarily go from one year to the next. That being said, you know, there is still a huge question mark on a lot of these guys. It's nice to hear that 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 Fontana is really kind of stepping up and being that vocal leader. Um, but, you know, we, we thought we were in a decent position with a guy like Mesa Rabordi coming into this year to be the starting center. And then, you know, he's gone again because of an injury issue. So, um, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, I do think, especially the fact that they weren't able to have the, the, the spring game because we just didn't have enough offensive linemen who were healthy to be able to flush out, you know, an entire two rosters worth of, of offensive linemen. I think that the depth of the offensive line is what has me the most concerned. If we have a guy that has an injury, we're going to be right back in the same sort of situation that we were before. Um, I would still leave them as the biggest concern, mainly because of that. There's also kind of the open question of, yeah, we haven't had a quarterback that's really been able to establish themselves, but how much of that is that the quarterbacks aren't playing well, and how much of that is that they've been running for their life every single play because the offensive line really hasn't been able to hold up for them. I think once we get the offensive line sorted out, if it really is as good as we thought it was going to be this year, then we'll really know if any of these guys are any good. I, I'm kind of leaning more towards the the fact that the offensive line has been the biggest issue, even contributing to the quarterback, just because we've seen guys like Montel Kozar go off to Boise State, Ryan Willis go off to Virginia Tech, and be you know good contributors there, potentially starters there. Um, getting out of the system and not having to play behind this offensive line. So uh, I would probably still put the offensive line up there, but I can definitely see, especially people that are able to, you know, be there and, and kind of see how these guys are doing and, and hear what the coaches are saying, um, would would maybe not be as concerned about that 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 offensive line. So uh, okay, yeah, real quick, three points on okay. that. Hopefully, I can remember all three of them. One <laughs> big concern about the offensive line that uh, that you didn't bring up, but I think is a huge concern, which I said. Four of these guys that could start came after summer ball started. Um, you know, it would be nice to have them yeah. install stuff in the spring. You know, it would be nice to know all the plays. It's got to be really tough to not only compete for your job, but, like, learn everything you need to learn over a summer and fall. But, again, some of these guys they brought in were grad transfers, so we'll see how quickly they can learn on the fly. You mentioned both Ryan Willis and, and Montel Cozart. David Beatty brought up that point, too, and saying, hey, look, you know, those guys had good offensive lines, or Montel did, and you saw how he performed. Um, you know, you also have to kind of take into account too. Uh, those guys got different coaching staffs with them as well, so oh, yeah. uh, it's hard to discern what really is the cause of them getting so much better. And again, Montel Cozart, there was a report out there he got signed with Canadian Football League, so good for him. But uh, you know, it does make you wonder kind of how much you can divvy up the credit and blame with that because you're right, the offensive line was better, but he also had different instruction, different scheme, different coaches, those sorts of things. So it's difficult to kind of parse those things out. Number three, and, and I want to point this out just to, to, to say what I'm talking about. Q 
QBR, uh, total QBR. If, if you look up this number, it's on ESPN. It kind of takes everything into account for a quarterback. Um, I'm looking up the Big 12 conference leaders, and this is unqualified, so it could be any quarterback in the Big 12 that started. I'm going to start at 2015. There were 25 qualified quarterbacks in the Big 12. KU's quarterbacks ranked 20th, 21st, and 25th. So I was going to guess 23, 24, 25, but that's okay. So, so, so let me go to 2016. This is David Betty's second year. There were 19 qualified quarterbacks, or 19 quarterbacks, qualified or unqualified. KU's quarterbacks ranked 17th, 18th, and 19th. Okay, that's about what I expected. And so last year, we can flip ahead. Uh, there were 21 quarterbacks. KU's quarterbacks ranked. Uh, let me see here, 18th and 21st out of 21 quarterbacks. So when, I, when I'm talking about quarterback play, like we're talking about the third string for whatever team you're listing here has better numbers than any starting, any quarterback for KU, anyone right. they've been putting in there. I mean, it's, 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 re, it's, it's crazy to look at these numbers and the fact that like nobody from KU can crack like the 20th percentile of Big 12 quarterbacks, um, even when they put three different guys in during a season. So um, it's something that's got to get fixed. I mean, I, it sounds – I mean, it's not simple, but I mean that is such a huge part of the game. I don't, and again, I don't want to just put blame on the quarterbacks. It could be coaching, it could be offensive line, well, right? It could be, that's the it could be a running game, it could be anything. But the bottom line is, if you don't get better overall quarterback play, then basically ranking three out of the bottom five quarterbacks in the Big Twelve, no matter what the season is, it's going to be really difficult to score points. Yeah, yeah, and and I definitely agree. I mean, quarterback play is definitely a, the the biggest area of concern. But the problem then becomes, you know, what portion of the quarterback play is bad because of the quarterback? What is it because of the coaching schemes? What is it because of the offensive line? There's so many different things that go into how well a quarterback plays. Kind of like even if the wide receivers weren't producing, you know, oh, well, that that I wouldn't put that on all the wide receivers because, you know, we've got QB problems. We've got offensive line problems not giving them time. Like there's so many other things that is a bottleneck for like a wide receiver being able to produce as opposed to a quarterback or, you know, but, but a quarterback relies so much on the offensive line that it's at least, um, you know, at least plausible to say that maybe the quarterbacks really aren't as bad as we think they are. They just haven't gotten the support from the coaching staff and from the offensive line. There's at least enough there, you know, there really isn't any other, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier, I think, to isolate whether an offensive line is good or bad. Um, not necessarily to say how much of an effect that has on all the other play of the rest of the offense, but we can objectively say whether an offense and an offensive line played well or did not play well, and how, you know, and whether it was them or it was something else going on. Like we can see yeah. if a guy ran away from his protection and that's why the sack gave up, was 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 given up or something like that. We can't do that with a quarterback. A quarterback, you, you can't necessarily say, oh well. You know, he didn't throw it fast enough. If the guy's coming through the line in, in two seconds, that's not on the quarterback. That's on the offensive line. Like, there's there's too many other factors for that. So uh, Yeah, I will also point out, too, just real quickly. Uh, yeah. Fo- pro football focus last year, again, KU football's offensive line had horrible run grade. But uh, pass blocking-wise, they had some guys that were rated pretty good. So, um, again, that's, that's them taking a snap-by-snap count. But I think they ended up eighth out of ten teams in the Big 12, which, again, uh, and pass blocking, which is probably better than you thought. So, um, I will just say that about the offensive line. They did take a lot of heat last year, including from, you know, people around here and coaching staff members and everything. But uh, the pass blocking, at least for the entire season, was not horrible, and they had some guys who could do it well. 
So uh, we'll see. Uh, if it's improved yeah, this year, then you'll see the rest of the numbers go up from, from everybody else. But uh, the bottom line is whatever it's taking, quarterbacks are not producing. I think that's pretty clear. Definitely. All right. So let's. Uh, we are running out of time here. So let, let's go ahead and jump into a couple speed questions. So um, first of all, just how has Kansas managed to be last in yards per game every year since 2010? Mike, Mike, Mike really wanted me to ask you this question, so I, I thought I would give you just a minute here to, to kind of talk about that. It just seems incredible that they could be dead last in yards per game every year since 2010. Yeah, are we talking Big 12, or is that – To be honest, I think it's Big 12. I didn't it's know be Big 12, right? I mean, there's yeah, got to be a I, I think team. so. I think I, so. Otherwise, I, I missed out on a great story, you know. It's, it's got to be uh, – you know, I'm looking up total offense right now, yards per game. Okay, yeah, it's got to be a big twelve. KU was one hundred eighteenth out of one hundred thirty last year, so oh, uh, they were well. like they were they were like a hundred yards better. So than I'm Utah. guessing it's probably close. actually Power Five as opposed yeah, to the well, Big Twelve. So well, let's see. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Um, you know, I, I wrote about this too um, in the Athlon preview um, as well, which is KU hasn't in the last I believe it's the last eight seasons they've been worse than the Big Twelve in points per game, have not averaged, and this one shocks me. KU has not averaged 23 points or more per game in the last eight seasons. I mean, you think about college football, and I, I mean, my mind just kind of goes back to like Sam Bradford and Baker Mayfield, and I mean, every quarterback in the Big 12 that's just been thrown around the yard, and for a team to not average 23 points per game, I mean, that's not, that's not a lot of points in today's up-tempo game. Um, it, it really is amazing, and I'll go back to exactly what I said. I mean, if you look at Kansas football and you go back in history, and the times when they've kind of let's well, you can count how reason, but the times that they've kind of trended upward, they've had a quarterback who's been able to make it work no matter what. You know, they've had um, a Bill Whittemore who could scramble around and he didn't have the greatest arm, but he could make plays and make yeah. it work and was a game or that sort of thing. You had Todd Reesing who could do that. You had Jason Swanson who stepped into that role. I mean, they've had these quarterbacks that could make it work. However it had to happen, they made it work. And, and since then, it's just they haven't had that guy. And I think it's so important to figure out the person who – your offense and make your offense believe in you. And they just um, – not only have they not had the guy, they just haven't had really the personality guys to, to kind of you have the have the person that you would believe that could go do that sort of thing. And I mean, heck, I know Carter Stanley hasn't had the best statistical numbers, but I think he has, more than anybody the last few years, kind of had that sort of moxie at least where he, he kind of believed in himself and could kind of rally the troops a little bit and bring some energy to the huddle. Um, but I, I don't know. I, they need somebody to be able to do that because um, that's really what's happened when they've trended upward a little bit offensively is that they've had a guy that's been able to overcome the surroundings. Yeah. All right. Next, next quick question. Who on the roster is going to be a breakout star for this year? And that's obviously relative to what we've seen in the past, but um, what, whether actually going to be like a star that gets noticed outside of the, even the big 12, or if it's just going to be someone who plays a lot better than we probably thought they were going to, um, who's the guy you kind of have your eye on as, as the most likely for that? I'm sorry. You say standout player is that we said, or a surprise yeah. player? Yeah. Hmm. For Kenny football. Well, um, I, I kind of tip my hand with Fontana. You know, it'd be kind of interesting to see if he's going to be able to, um, you know, make an all-league team, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, most of the guys, it's almost like what you would expect. You know, I would expect them to try to get Puka the ball a bunch, but that's not really a name that anybody would be surprised by. Um, Dom Williams is another guy. He was injured last year. 
I expect him to get a lot of carries and be very involved with the offense. Uh, Corey on Harris, Harris, he's another guy. I mean, I think he's going to start right away and be a lot to be expected of him. But, again, everybody knows who he is. So um, those really aren't surprise guys. Maybe a guy like Evan Fares. I, I don't know how many people. That's who I was going to say. So yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how many people have, you know follow really closely and would know about him. So maybe that would be the pick at wide receiver that he could kind of emerge and kind of step into that number two uh, receiver role behind Steven Sims. But uh, outside of that, I think at this point, and again, this kind of speaks back once again to um, KU football made practice open for 30 minutes on media day but since then there's been no open practice usually they have one full practice that's open we get to kind of go watch and see drills and things like that but they've kind of remained shut this year and like i said i think it's kind of a point of um, them deciding that there's really not much to say or much to show this year it's time to go prove it on the field so um, a little bit more of it is trying to trying to kind of get information from places you can and, and talk to people and see what they think so uh, maybe evan ferris is the guy but other than that i think there's a lot of people that that ku fans are expecting things from so the other the other guy that I was thinking of would be uh, James Sosinski. You know, I mean, coming in at a tight end, they don't really have another another big tight end to really focus on, um, and so I, I think Sosinski is going to be a good kind of safety safe safety valve guy. Could potentially pick up some stats just you know if the offensive line isn't able to allow Bender or whoever's playing QB to go down the field a lot. Um, so I, I think that there's some potential there, but yeah, I'm not really expecting anyone else really to kind of be a breakout guy. So let's let's go ahead and finish up. Um, before we get to our, our couple Twitter questions, really quick, I'm, I'm going to be doing this with everybody that we're talking to before the season, some over-unders for the season here. And last year we had a whole list of like 40 of these that we did on our on our preseason special with, with a whole bunch of the guys from the site. But I've just got five that I want to ask you about really quick. And, and I'll, I'll give you the category and then the number, and you just tell me over-under. If you want to do a little bit of explaining, feel free. Um, but So the first one, QBs to start a game for Kansas this year. I'm going to set that line at two and a half. All right, Steven Sims, touchdown receptions. I set that at nine and a half. Um, I'll go under. Um, I think he'll have a great year, but it might not just be with touchdowns. He's kind of a big play threat. It's tougher to get him the ball in the red zone. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, what about Khalil Herbert, 200-plus yard games? I have that at two and a half. Uh, under, yeah. I, I, he was great last year when he was healthy, but uh, he's got some depth of the position, so uh, they really don't have to use him as a workhorse, I don't think. So I'll, I'll stay under on that one. All right. Times that, that Kansas is losing by less than 10 points at the half. I put that at four and a half. So either either losing by single digits or winning at the half. I, I put that at four and a half times. Four and a half. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll go over. I, I, I can go over. I mean, if, if I take them to win the first three games, then obviously you, that's three of them. So I'll, I'll go over on that one. All right. And then the final one, something that drives – um, fetch, you know, crazy on Twitter all the time. The number of punts on fourth and one when they obviously should be going for it. I'll set that at eleven and a half. <laughs> it seemed like it happened like thirty times last year. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, Doug Meacham gets his way and goes back to the uh, blackjack style that they did earlier, where they were going for all those. So I, I will stay with the under on that one. And um, I, I really hope you're right on that. <laughs> maybe they'll just get fewer fourth and ones, and I'll get lucky. 
Yeah, there we go. There we go. All right. So then the last two things really quick, we got to jump over to our Twitter questions. I, I did put out a call asking for those, and we only had a couple of responses. But uh, the first one is from our uh, from the other good good friend of the podcast, Scott Chasen. Um, he specifically wanted me to ask what your sushi order was. It's great because I, we went to a sushi place this last week, and my order was chicken teriyaki. So um, that is my sushi order. I do not eat sushi. My wife eats sushi. Uh, I've had a California roll. I think that's what it's called once before, but it's just not my thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I was the same way. Um, it's kind of hard in Kansas to find really good sushi. Um, you know, it's especially if you're not really into it to begin with. Um, but then I moved out to the coast. I moved down to Florida for a while, and I'm up in Virginia now. And um, it's definitely a whole lot better when you have, fr- you know, access to fresh fish and, and you know, fresh ingredients that go into sushi all the time. So um, I, I don't really think of Kansas City as a big area for sushi. So um, I'm not really surprised that there's a lot of people that don't necessarily – um, you know, have a particular sushi order. But anyway, all right. And so then the final question that we have, um, and let me, I actually need to go ahead and get back to it. Here we go. It's from, uh, well, here, I'm trying to get the guy's Twitter handle because his name is actually way too long. Here we go. It's at Will Corker. Um, we, of, of, of course, we have to finish on a basketball question because that's what everybody wants to know. If If KU wins the national title this season, does that make Bill Self be a top 10 all-time coach in men's college basketball? Oh, um, gave you an easy one, right? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we well, can go on for an hour on this one. You know, my gut instinct, just right off the bat, would be no, because my gut instinct would say that you could name five or six off the top of your head that are no doubt Hall of Fame guys that have already coached. You know what I mean? Like the the John Wooden of the world that you could just immediately name off the top of your head. But the more I think about it, it would probably be close. Uh, I, I still probably outside the top ten, but you know, if we're being honest about Bill Self, the big thing, the big knock on him now, now he's made another Final Four, is going to be just the one national title, and not that that's a knock. I mean, lots of coaches would love that one national title, but you kind of see a separation with the ones that had multiple ones. And if he got the multiple national titles, add that to his resume, to the streak, to what he's accomplished over the course of his career, um, yeah, he'd, he'd have a case to be right up there with those. Uh, with those sorts of people. So I would say probably just off of it, but um, that's without me listing it exactly down the order of exactly who it would be. So uh, I would think he'd be right in that conversation, probably just just in that uh, you know 11-15 range. Yeah, I would say I think it easily puts him top 15, um, no doubt, like all time. But there's enough guys, you know, that I can't, off the top of my head, definitely say that puts him in the top 10 um, without it being like a recency bias kind of thing. Because I can think of, you know, if if you say top 10 in terms of like the last 30 years, I think, yeah, that, that would put him there. But there's some really good college head coaches that, you know, coached a long, long time ago. And I, I can't say that Bill Self is better than all of them, which is what it would take, I think, to definitely say that he'd be a shoo-in as, as top 10 all time. So, so yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, I, I just had to finish up with a college basketball question. But, Jesse, thank you for joining me tonight. It was really great to, to get an outside perspective on KU football for some from someone who actually gets a little bit more exposure. We've been talking to ourselves over and over again. And, um, you know, after drinking the Kool-Aid so hard last year, it was really hard to, to get – really optimistic at all about the team this year, but it, it, it definitely sounds like there's some good things happening there. And 
if we can finally get some things to break our way, maybe we'll actually have a semi-successful season this year. So, any other final thoughts you want to leave us with before you before we get out of here? Nope, I, I appreciate you having me on, and like I said, it'll be uh, interesting to watch, if nothing else, for uh, the offensive line and to to see how this season shakes out. Uh, but again, if people want to check out exactly how it's going to turn out, I already looked at my crystal ball. So the article's online. It's going to turn out exactly that. <laughs> yeah, there, there we go. All right. Well, uh, once again, thanks, thanks for joining us, and we'll definitely have to have you on again at some point, uh, probably like right before the basketball season starts, or you know, if everything goes as well as you're saying, then then maybe we'll bring you on a little bit earlier, and we we can celebrate some some good things happening for KU football. So, all right. Thanks, thanks again. All right. Appreciate it, Andy. All right. Have a good night. And that'll do it for Season 3 opening episode. Um, just a few programming notes. We will have another episode later this week with Scott Chasen from Fog.net. That's the 24-7 sports um, affiliate site there for, for Kansas. He's actually done a great job getting that up and running. So we will be talking with him again, kind of previewing the Kansas football season. We've got a few of his his different projects he's been doing that I wanted to chat with him about. So um, de- definitely getting started early with the with the big guests here to, to really get us ramped up for the football season. We also will be talking with a friend, friend of the podcast, Jill Dorsey Hall, to preview Kansas Volleyball, which actually starts next week. Um, and so be on the lookout for that. Uh, I don't know if that will be combined with the interview from Scott or if we will have that as his own standalone episode next week. But um, definitely go ahead and, and, and make sure that you are following us again. We are on Twitter, at Rock Chalk Pod. You can get all of our coverage on the website, at Rock Chalk Talk. Um, and then, you know, we, we actually have, have a new email address as well for the podcast. It is rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com. You can email us questions. You can email us suggestions. Anything you want to you want to get over to us? If you, uh, we are looking. Uh, while we have some some temporary uh, cover art now for the podcast, we are always open to submissions from our fans, from those that are listening. So if you do have anything you wanted for for us to potentially feature for you, um, go ahead and send it over. We are more than willing to go ahead and give it a try and see how everyone likes it. And you know, we'll even give you guys a shout out in in the show notes for it. Um, we have, we have looked as well about changing up the the intro music as well. So if, if you are uh, if if you fancy yourself a little bit of a songwriter or like to write you know little little tunes here and there, feel free to record something, send it over, and uh, we we'll we'll be in touch with you at that point and see if it's something we want to get on the podcast. So um, again, you know this is a show by Kansas fans for Kansas fans. We want all of your guys' input. We'll do everything we can to get what you guys want to hear on this show. So, um, you know, again, thank you guys for joining me tonight. I'm really excited about season three. It's kind of something I've been working on for a little while now, and I, I'm, I'm happy to see that it's finally up and running and ready to go. So um, make sure that you guys are paying attention to us on, on Twitter. Uh, and obviously, of course, still, still come on over to Rock Chalk Talk to get all of your Kansas news. So uh, with that, we will go ahead and leave podcast there and make sure you guys join us next time on the rock chalk podcast sports social podcast network